Well, good morning, Church at the Red Door. So good to... I can't see you. I wish I could see you. I can't see you. This is driving me crazy. Uh, you know, you've seen what they've done at the... Uh, in, well, some of you probably don't watch the NBA, but if you watch the NBA, they've got this... Uh, they're playing in front of no crowd, so they put these virtual people in the stands, and you can send your thing in. I actually don't know if it's live or if it's just tape, but they've got all these virtual fans that they've put surrounding the court, so... I wish I had the capability to do that because I would put each one of your faces on here and I would be able to see you. So uh, again, we press forward without being able to physically gather. I, by the way, I just wanted to say, uh, Mac and Karen McQuiston, we are so excited to have you be part of the leadership of this team, of this church, of this community, and uh, it's a huge thing for us. And uh, we're excited about the contributions you're going to make over the coming years and the imprint you're going to have. Uh, for your years of ministerial faithfulness with focus on the family and otherwise and CEO forum and everything. It's, we're excited about what that's going to do for us as a community. So Mac and Karen, welcome. I'm going to open one more time in prayer and then we're going to get rolling on this thing about the heart, this heart issue. So Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you. We're so grateful to be able to gather as we are now. Without Zoom or this, I don't know, 10 years ago, would, what would this have looked like? Would we even still, we might still be struggling to be a church. Lord, I, I have the confidence that somehow, some way, you, we're going to come out of this stronger than we went. Uh, we're going to come out of it stronger than we went in. Lord, only your spirit could do that. And so we're inviting you today to be among us. Uh, Holy Spirit, guide me in being able to communicate your word effectively. And then Give us all, myself included, ears to hear and eyes to see what you are saying to us at this particular season in our lives. So Lord, help us understand the heart in a more profound way than we ever have in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you ready for this? So here's where we started uh, week one. It's a three-part series on the heart. Week one was, well, uh, we're all in cardiac arrest. I mean, that's the bottom line. Uh, we all have significant heart issues. We went back and unpacked the scripture on that. Uh, the heart is deceptively wicked, Jeremiah said. Who can know it? How do we know that we can't even plumb the depths of the wickedness of the human heart? And as some of, that's an offensive message, but that's the foundation to even understanding the gospel, which is what we then talked about week two. Week two, we work hard. We do everything we can. We looked at to cover it up. We don't want people, we don't want our hearts to be exposed to the world. We want to cover up our cardiac arrest. You know, Laura and I watched this movie. I don't know if you've seen it. I highly recommend it. I'm trying to think back if there were any uh, obscene uh, scenes, but uh, Ford versus Ferrari. Great movie. Matt Damon played Shelby, who was the iconic uh, uh, Mustang developer and the Shelby Mustang, the Cobra. He drove that beautiful Cobra uh, Mustang throughout the movie when he would go kind of interacted there. And what was fascinating about that is that he was the ultimate cool. And yet through the entire movie, he grabbed these this bottle uh, of pills and he'd just take two or three or four pills, cool on the outside. But it was somewhat of a cover-up for what was going on on the inside, uh, he had a real significant heart issue. And so it was a cover-up. Well, we do the same thing. We do everything we can to try to create 
ethical communities like we looked at last week with Nexium, who you know, all these utopian kind of societies, and they, they always get brought down in the end. Why? Because at, at the end, we have a heart condition. So number one, we're cardiac arrest. Number two, we, work, we do everything we can do to cover it up so we don't really have to address the issues. And then this morning is, well, is there a prescription for this? So that's kind of what we're going to go through today. Now, what I want to go, I want to go back to where we finished last week, and I want to revisit this Deuteronomy passage before we press on, because we have to understand, folks, that Israel's story, the purpose of the Old Testament, is to give us a, an insight into how God dealt with humanity in the nation of Israel. Israel's story is our story. And so once we understand that, we learn so much from their failure, from their, uh, from their sometimes success, a lot from their great men and prophets of old. There's an incredible nation, the nation of Israel, still a vibrant part, in my view, a vibrant part of God's total economy and what he's going to do in the earth as we looked at a number of weeks back. But Israel's story is our story. So I want to take you to Deuteronomy chapter 30. This is fascinating because it really gives us insight into what God's final verdict is on the heart. Now remember, Deuteronomy is part of the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is Moses' kind of last words uh, before he dies on Mount Nebo. His last words kind of giving a summation of God's uh, heartbeat and God speaking to Moses. Listen to what God says. Deuteronomy 28 and 29 are about the blessings and the curses. So I'm going to give you the law and then I want you to follow it. I want you to do everything you can to follow it. But before it's even finished, before the final speech of Moses is done, we get insight to the fact that God says, and yet you're going to fail. So, I mean, this is kind of the final declaration that God makes is I'm going to give you the law, but you will fail. I'm going to give you the law, but you will fail. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verses 1 through 6. So it shall be when all of these things have come upon you, blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord God has banished you. He hasn't banished them yet, but God's already saying, I'm going to give you the law, here are the blessings, here are the curses, you give it your best, you work hard to do it, and uh, yet I'm going to banish you because you're going to fail. I mean, they, they, they hadn't even had a chance to move into the blessings and the curses yet and, uh, and, and in an ultimate way as a nation, and already God said, yet I'm going to banish you. He says, and, and you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you today, you and your sons, then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity. So that's our task, folks, is to get a restored heart so that we can be restored out of captivity. But it's not going to be through effort, and that's what we see through the nation of Israel. That's what we learn from the nation of Israel. And it says, And have compassion on you, and I will gather you again from all the people where the Lord your God has scattered you. Remember, they've not been scattered yet, because they've not failed yet. But if if you're outcasts or at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord will gather you and he will bring you back. The Lord God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed. You will possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, the Lord will circumcise your heart. 
and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. In other words, the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, this loving, this one God, this monotheistic understanding of the love of one God, well, they couldn't do it. God's telling them that they're going to be banished, but then he says, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back, and I'm going to do this circumcision of the heart. So what is the prescription? The prescription is that God gets involved and he gives us a new heart. Now, we looked at this last week, Ezekiel 36. I just want to quickly revisit this so we can have this in our minds as we try and try to continue to understand the triune nature of God, the triune nature of ourselves, and then God's plan to holistically restore us, transform us, and bring us out of stony, the stony wilderness and move us into a place of shalom, which is a wholeness, body, mind, and spirit. Body, heart, and spirit. However you want to look at it, heart and mind essentially being the same thing, and bring us into a wholeness that God has desired for us. Otherwise, we, we're scattered. We, we, we're not unified. So Ezekiel 36 now, verses 22 through 36. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, says the Lord, it is not for your sake that I'm about to act, but for my name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. Now remember, Ezekiel is prophesying, oh, 900-ish years after Moses has spoken this. 900 years. I hope you can kind of grasp how the significance of the time. And now God comes again and says, he's going to say, here's what I'm going to do. He says, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst, and the nations will know that I am the Lord. So there's a plan in this. He gives them the law. He knows they're not going to be able to keep it. They're banished outside of the promised land. And then, but he's going to do something. And in the process of restoring them, he's going to impact the whole globe. This is the unbelievably beautiful, sovereign plan of God. I am going to show the world your restoration. See, when we read, folks, the New Testament, we see the beginnings of this, not the fulfillment of it and its completeness, but we see the beginnings of the restoration of Israel, a new heart and a new spirit. And it's impacted me. It's impacted many of you. If you've had the born-again experience, a new birth, where you receive a new spirit and get a new heart, if that's happened to you, how do we know about that? How do we even know the story? Well, we know the story because we read it in the book of Acts. The, the birthing of the church, and it all happened through the nation of Israel. So God is going to show his holiness, and he's going to impact the nations as he restores Israel. And that's how the church began, was the beginnings of the spiritual restoration of Israel. And I told you that this is the, some of the super signs. People want to know what are the signs of the end of the time. Some of the super signs, even now in our day, the spiritual restoration of the nation of Israel, of the Jewish people. And then here's what he says. He says, And I will prove myself holy among you in their sight, verse 24, for I will take you from the nations, gather you from the lands, and bring you into your own land. And this is what we looked at last week. And I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean, and I will cleanse you from your filthiness and from your idols. The water typically is Jesus' words. The words of the totality of the word of, of God, and then Jesus' words as well. Uh, John 17, 17, Jesus says, 
and sanctify them in your truth. So there's a cleanse. Sanctification means cleansing. There's a cleansing that happens when we read this and then we apply our faith that God has given us and we embrace it and then we begin to internalize it in our heart and we're sanctified. That's what we're going to look at there. Moreover, I will what? Give you a new heart. That's what we've been talking about. It's going to give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you. That's the Holy Spirit. Give you a new heart. I'm going to put a new spirit in you and we'll see the interaction between the spirit and its impact on the heart in a minute. And that's going to be the prescription that we're going to look at. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, give you a heart of flesh, put my spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe all my ordinances. And it goes on. Verse 33, thus says the Lord, on that day I will cleanse you from your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places to be rebuilt. Now get get this, this is important. This is where desolation, wilderness, stony wilderness becomes fertile, becomes Eden-like, becomes, well, there's shalom here. You can see it in this figurative language. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of being a desolation in the sight of everyone who passes by. And they will say this desolate land has become like the Garden of Eden and the waste, desolate, and ruined cities are fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left around you will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places, planted that which was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it and I will do it. Now, this has, I believe, a literal application. The nation of Israel came to be a nation again in 1948, but it also has a spiritual application. So the real ultimate restoration, and the Lord knows this, is not just about cities being rebuilt in a physical place, but about communities, spiritual communities, new life, new heart, new spirit, all these things, total shalom. So there's a spiritual application here as well. And so Israel's story is our story. You can't do it by the law. You can't do it by your own efforts. It's going to require, don't try to cover it up. It's going to require a radical surgery. And that radical surgery is going to do what? Well, it's going to completely and utterly restore us. And this again is the prescription. So again, let me just, let me restate this. It's important to understand what in fact is the difference between our heart, our self, our center, the center of us, as we've talked about in this series, and then our spirit. Okay, so number one, the spirit is our connection to God through the Holy Spirit. So as we all know, we were spiritually dead. Ephesians 2 says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Your soul wasn't dead. Your body wasn't dead. Your spirit was dead. It was it was inoperable. And then with the new birth, you receive, as Ezekiel had seen 600 years before Jesus and before it actually happened on, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit was poured out and they received a new spirit. So now that part of you that connects, and we've talked about this, but I, it's important to revisit this, that part of you that connects with God is your born-again spirit. You have a new spirit. Now you're going to get a new heart too but it's the spirit. Now, what then is the soul? Well, the soul, again, just as a reminder, is the totality of the self. The soul includes the center of you, your desires, your passions, your motivations, all those things, your volitional will, your intellect, your mind. Uh, It's you and the experience that you're having in the earth. You're not just a brain. You are a self. You are a 
soul. And you, so you are a soul, and again, you have a spirit. Now, what's important to see here, and we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to see what Paul tells the church at Corinth. If you don't have this born-again experience, your spirit cannot, if it's dead, you can't engage with the Holy Spirit of God, and as a result, it won't have an impact on your center. You can try. You can say, I'm a very spiritual person. You can get involved in utopian communities. You can try as hard as you want. But in the end, and this is clear, the Bible simply says that you are cut off from God's connection. You can't see it. You're a natural man. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look, dead is dead. If your spirit's dead, you have no connection to the creator of the universe. So catch this, 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 16. It says, now we, that's the church, those who've gone through this born-again experience, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So that's what happens if you say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't, I don't know about that Holy Spirit stuff. Well, <laughs> the very definition of a Christian is someone who has the spirit of God living on the inside of them. Why so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. So, by the way, it's important with your spirit being made alive, you can't even understand that you're a child of God. Romans 8.16 says it's the spirit of God who actually gives us insight in, that we're part of the family. So, again, you were spiritually dead, you didn't understand your family status, because why? Because you were outside the family. It says, which things we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit. And then we begin, I catch this, we begin to combine spiritual thoughts and spiritual words. We're going to talk about some of those spiritual thoughts in a minute as it relates to intuition, as it relates to conscience and things like that. But a natural man, that's somebody who just pre-Jesus, a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Because he's dead. Spirit is dead, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So you have to have an enlivened new spirit in you to be able to comprehend the things that God has for you. This is the prescription for a changed heart. He who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him but we have the very mind or the center or the heartbeat of Christ. This is this picture of new spirit and, and new heart. How, how do you engage with God through a new spirit? How do you understand all the things that God has planned for you? How do you sense when he's speaking to you? You have to have a new heart and a new spirit within you, exactly as Ezekiel had prophesied. Not by just greater effort, not by being philanthropic or whatever and things we've talked about, not by a cover-up, really covering up what's deep, but a radical, complete, and utter transformation. Now, here's some of the things that we do know. Now, I'm going to read a lot of scripture this morning, but it's important that we really get this. We're being sanctified by the truth as we embrace this as being true, and we're both disciples, so we understand how to change our center. Or for some of you, maybe you have never gone through the born-again experience and you don't have a new heart and you are unable, you are disconnected from the creator of the universe. You know, I think about connection. Uh, anytime I, I get a car, I always get the first year 
of Sirius satellite and I'm connected. And so it doesn't matter where I am. One thing about FM radio, you get outside a certain uh, shot of the radio, the radio towers and you, you, it starts to get fuzzy and fuzzy. Not with satellite. Satellite's up there and once you're connected, once you pay your little subscription fee after year one, once you pay it, whether monthly or otherwise, you're connected. Well, it's very similar and it doesn't matter where I am. I can be out in the middle of nowhere, especially if I have to drive to Phoenix. Sometimes I get out in the middle of nowhere and I need, well, I can obviously play through my iPhone these days or whatever, but I can also be connected, always connected to that satellite once I pay the subscription. Now, what is the subscription fee in terms of the kingdom? Well, it's Jesus. He paid the fee. We didn't just get an annual pass. We got a forever pass and he spilled his blood and covered us so that we can eternally be connected to the satellite, figuratively speaking, to God's very presence. Our spirit, we have a new one, connects with the Holy Spirit of God. He can communicate with us on an ongoing basis. One thing we do know, Romans 8, listen, listen to Paul here. Romans 8, verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh, well, they set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Just makes sense, doesn't it? For the mindset on the flesh is death. So if you don't have the ability to connect with God, it's always going to lead to death choices. It just is. You're going to make bad decisions. It's going to lead to death. But the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. It doesn't subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Notice, it's not even able to do so. If you can't connect with the creator of the universe through a new heart and a new spirit, you're not even able to do so. If you wanted to be the finest human being that ever walked the planet, the most generous of spirit and kind and everything else, you simply could not. That is the devastating indictment of our cardiac arrest. It just is. Now, I want to press on here. Uh, Romans uh, 8, now verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh. Okay, folks, you're not in the flesh anymore. You're in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, have you been born again? But if He does, and there's a new Spirit, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. If Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, so here's the question. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. It's a, all we get here in Romans uh, here, here in Romans 8 is this the whole understanding of the spirit. Does the spirit reside in you? That's the question. So then, brethren, we're not under obligation, not to the body, not to this dirt and water. We're not under obligation to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you're living according to the flesh, you have to die. That's why Jesus constantly said, you must pick up your cross and follow me. If by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, if by the Spirit, we're going to talk about that, this is going to be ultimately the prescription. If by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So one of the things that 
denotes what is a Christian, what is not a Christian. Who is a Christian, who is not a Christian? Does the Spirit of God reside in you? And then if the Spirit resides in you, are you in the process of partnering with the Spirit to listen to the Spirit's guidance and then putting to death the deeds of the body that's the body's just not going to change. The sarks, the very flesh in the Greek, the sarks is always going to have a bent towards fallenness. But we can, so we know there's a battle here. There's a battle between the two natures. Now, one thing, some people like think of this in terms of kind of two hearts. It's not really two hearts. Let me be clear. It's not really two hearts, but it is a way to think about it. Kind of have my old heart, and then obviously Ezekiel said I was going to get a new heart. And so now I have this competing. It's really more about your natures. You could think of it in terms of two hearts. Uh, Psalm 86 verse 11 says, Lord, you know, sanctify me in your truth, really. Clean me up here and don't allow me to have an undivided heart. Give me an undivided heart. Excuse me, give me an undivided heart. I don't want two hearts. I want one consistent trajectory, focus, unity of mind, soul, and spirit. I want all of that to be combined in an integrated whole. I don't want to be divided. So Paul looks at this. He didn't say there's two hearts, but he said there's a, there's a struggle between the two natures. He referred to them as a dual natures, conflict of the two natures. <clears throat> Romans 7, catch this, <clears throat> verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm a flesh. I'm sold into bondage and to sin. Okay, so that's pre-Jesus. For what I am doing, uh, and obviously my flesh never gets cleaned up. So obviously Paul's not this pre-Jesus. But what I'm doing I do not understand, for I'm practicing what I would like. I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. You've probably never had that experience. <laughs> I, have it. I have it routinely. I find myself doing something that I hate. It's not my heart. It's not my intention. I react in such a way. I... I fail, and then I just, it, it grates on me, I, but I see this conflict of the two natures. I see some division in my own heart, if you will. It says, but I do the very thing that I don't want to do, but when I do that, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So I'm saying, look, I know that the law is good. It gives me a picture of the holiness of God. It gives me a picture of what shalom could be, but then I'm stuck in this battle between the old and the new. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, for the willing is present, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I don't do, but I practice the very evil that I don't want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. So again, we understand our fundamental bent toward evil. And that's what Paul is doing here. So then he says, I find that the principle of evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. I joyfully concur with the law of God. I mean, I see it and I go, I I love that. I mean, I know that's going to bring peace in my life. And that's in my inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death, Thanks be to God through Jesus, 
On the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, my flesh, the law of sin. So he's saying, my flesh is pulling me this way. I, I feel like I'm in a tug of war. My flesh is pulling me this way, and then the Spirit of God now in me and this new heart are, are drawing me back. I just feel this tug of war, and it's something, obviously, we all can feel. So how do we move beyond this, or how do we grow in this. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think this happens overnight? Do you think, I think sometimes we uh, have listened to in the past some great exploits of some very spiritual person that we think, and they talk about just overcoming sin in just a moment's time. Maybe it was a drug addiction or something, and, and just, and, and they were just instantly, almost like they were transported to heaven, become this heavenly person. Can I just tell you, it doesn't happen that way doesn't happen that way for anybody nobody it is a long arduous process of tug of war it, it is and when I sow to my flesh when I have my mind focused on the flesh I'm going to suffer for it even if I'm born again even if it's not eternally impactful and in, in, in a in an ultimate sense I'm not going to go to hell because that but I, I'm paying a price for that so listen to what Dallas Willard says in, the, in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines. One of the great, really great books. I, I, I just highly recommend The Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard. This is what he says. There is no quick fix. The one lesson we learn from all available sources, he writes, is that there's no quick fix for the human condition. This didn't happen overnight. The approach to wholeness, or shalom, if you will, is for humankind a process of great length and difficulty that engages all of our own powers to their fullest extent over a long course of experience. Now, this is important to understand. We exert energy in this process. Some say it's all God. He sanctifies. He cleans. Yes, it's his work, but we have to partner with him. We have to partner with the Spirit. We'll talk about more specifics in a minute. Uh, but he says we don't like to hear this. We are somewhat misled by the reports of experiences by a great many spiritual leaders and we assign their greatness to these great moments they were given, neglecting the years of slow progress they endured before them. Francis de Sales wisely counsels us not to expect transformation in a moment's time, though it is possible for God to give it. Francis de Sales writes this, the ordinary purification and healing, whether of the body or the mind takes place only little by little. By passing from one degree to another with labor and patience. I've experienced this in so many areas of my life. I am still massively in process, little by little. I want it to go more quickly, but in the process, it, boy, does it keep me humble. It keeps me in a place of worship when I realize He's already there. He, was ne he never was part of the fallen nature I have, and that's why we worship the creator of the universe. He goes on and says, The angels upon Jacob's ladder had wings, yet they flew not, but ascended and descended in order from one step to another. The soul that rises from sin to devotion may be compared to the dawning of the day, which at its approach does not expel the darkness instantaneously, but only little by little. Thus, it's necessary to say that conversion, as understood in Christian circles, 
is not the same thing as the required transformation of the self. Conversion can happen in a moment's time, but the transformation of the self, the soul, the heart, the mind, the intellect, the passions, the fact that a long course of experience is needed for the transformation is not set aside when we are touched by the new life from above. We are in process. It is a little by little transformation. It has to be. Why didn't God just zap us, you know? Zap, and you become like Jesus. Well, you're converted in a moment's time. You get a new heart and a new spirit. But now let's talk a little bit about this. What is the process by which the spirit, our spirit, now connected to God, receives information from God himself, and then we partner in letting it have its long-term effect on our soul, which would be, again, our heart, our mind, our intellect, our passions, our desires, etc. Now, I, I, and this is important. Yes, we absolutely are involved. How so? Well, there's three ways. And I want to talk a little bit about those real quickly. And before we close here, I want to talk to you a little bit about the three ways that the Spirit engages with us. Number one, the Spirit can engage us through our conscience. Okay, so we, we all are, kind of have a conscience, but it's typically hardened. But the Spirit will immediately engage our conscience. So the Spirit of God engages with our spirit, which informs us in our conscience. Romans 9.1 says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying, Paul says. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. So Paul is saying, look, I'm not lying about this. I'm giving you guys the goods. I know this. And I, my conscience is not lying. How do I know? Because it's confirmed through the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is now speaking through Paul's spirit. And how's he doing it? Through his conscience. Okay, number two. He does it, the Holy Spirit speaks our spirit and our, the effect on us is our intuition. All of a sudden we just, we have this sense of knowing something. We don't even know how we know it. It just, it's a repeated thing. People all the time, how do you hear from God? How do you hear from God? Well, first of all, you need to be born again. So you have this spirit that can now be connected to that ultimate satellite. Anywhere you can hear, you can receive these downloads anywhere. You can listen to anything on this satellite. Same thing with God. You can hear it all the time. And there's something intuitive. Listen to Mark chapter 2, verse 8. Jesus is referring to Jesus. Jesus clearly was connected with his spirit. Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? How did he get that download? How did he know that? How did Jesus know? Well, he was God. Jesus was subject to the same temptations we are, so he had the human experience. How did he intuitively know something in the heart of other people? Through the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit can speak to us not only about others, but primarily about ourselves. We just have an intuitive sense that something is amiss, that we're directed, focused on the wrong thing. Something, I shouldn't be involved in that business deal. I, I shouldn't be treating that person that way. Uh, why, am I, why am I so angry here, Lord? And then this, this intuitive sense begins to come over you. Wow, you, get, you become born again. 
How has your heart changed? These are heart issues. You become born again. Now your spirit connects to God. God's Holy Spirit speaks to your spirit and begins to solidify in your mind through conscience and intuition, and then you act on it. What do you do? You do what the Lord tells you to do. You'll know it intuitively. You know, this is one of the most difficult things in explaining to new believers that they can begin to, as they learn the word and they grow in Christ, they can begin to trust, as long as not in violation of scripture, trust some of these intuitions. They go, oh, that's the Holy Spirit? I didn't realize that that nine cents in me, my conscience, or that just insight, well, maybe it's not even a, not something you failed in, just an intuitive sense of something I should be doing or someone I should call or whatever, that intuition, this is how Jesus understood what was in their hearts through his spirit being connected to the Holy Spirit. And then John 4, verse 24, tells us also something about worship, about communion with God. This is how we really worship. So God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. He tells this to the woman at the well. So if we're going to worship, we have to worship in the spirit. Have you ever noticed when someone's worshiping? Uh, I remember we, and I'll just tell you who it is. I talked to her this week, uh, somebody we miss. I don't know if she's watching this. She's in Virginia. After having lost, lost her husband, Tom, it was Priscilla Flory. Uh, and Priscilla has very, she likes to do hand gestures and things in worship. And um, it's maybe a little distracting to some people that didn't understand what were going on. But I got many more people coming going, I, what does she have that I don't have? I mean, she seems like she has this connection. She worships. Well, what you were seeing, I believe, is that Priscilla was someone who worshiped in spirit and in truth. Now, I don't care how you, how you manifest that. But you've got to understand that you worship in the spirit. So that spiritual aspect, your new spirit connects with God. That's where real worship in spirit and in truth comes. And it takes you into uh, really some ultimate kinds of joy. So we get these three facets, these ways in which the spirit deals with us that then have a significant trans. Well, how would worship impact our soul in ways that you couldn't fathom? When you began to get your highest delight in God through worship, some of your appetites for these other things just fade away. I was listening to a song this morning. It says at the end, Oh Lord, that I just found all my joy in you. Now we talk about that all the time, but what does that mean? We went to a place in the spirit, in worship, where we were satisfied. And all these nine things, I've got to have this, I've got to do this, I've got to travel, I've got to da, 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 da. it's just never ending. And now you're trying to juggle all these things and the Lord is saying, you know, just relax. Worship me in spirit and in truth and you'll have the kind of satisfaction that will allay many of these other deep desires that have really been born in the flesh. <clears throat> so in closing, what are some ways? This is very prescriptive. Are you responding to your conscience? Well, first of all, do you have the Spirit of God living on the inside of you? If you do, are you responding to your conscience? Are you partnering with that? Do you lead a, lead a lifestyle of repentance and transparency? Do, do you start to sense some intuitive things that the Lord speaks to you, maybe about your own life or about situations around you? 
and then you can act on those. That's how the Spirit operates. And then finally, are you a worshiper? Well, if you're not, these are some beautiful ways you can pray. Okay, so let's think. What's a practical application? Well, it can start today. It can start with us right on our knees in prayer. What would that maybe look like? What, what could some of this dialogue... I wrote down a few things that just came to my mind. These are sometimes some of the things I work on and pray at various times. Usually pretty, pretty standard operating procedures for me. Lord, I, I don't focus on you and your plans for me this week. I didn't. It was awful. I, I kind of got caught up in my stuff. And I'm just so sorry you're worth so much more. Where, where did that, where did that, well, how was that inspired? Probably through my conscience or an intuitive sense that I was drifting. Or maybe something like this. Lord, I became angry with my friend and it was so overblown in my mind this week. I, my emotions got the best of me. Do you see? Myself was being informed by my flesh. My center, my heart was not being informed by your spirit. As a result, I allowed myself to become fleshly. Everything got overblown. I made a huge case against one of my friends or something like that. <clears throat> and it got the best of me. And, and I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? This is a great way to pray. Now you're partnering with an intuitive sense that something is amiss. Or maybe thirdly, Lord, I just flat out disobeyed you in this area. Maybe it's purity or generosity or anger or something, whatever. I want to be pure and holy and reflect your glory in the earth. I, I feel a million miles away from you right now, Lord. Change my passions and continue to transform my heart. Now we're praying. Spirit speaking to your spirit. Your spirit is beginning to inform your heart. You know what the heart is in, in the end? The heart is how you respond to the spirit. Or if you're being informed and responding according to the flesh. It's your center control system. It's the self. The self has culpability in this. It's what we just saw Paul trying to explain in Romans chapter 8. Be led by the spirit or, or led by the flesh. The, the two natures, the, the tug of war that goes back and forth. And maybe this, the last thing I wrote. Well, maybe, Lord, I'm just dreaming the wrong dreams. You know, I... I feel like I'm dreaming temporal and meaningless dreams that have no sustainability at all. And they're an utter distraction to what I know will produce life and fruit in my own life but the, and the lives of those around me. Will you continue to change me from the inside out and keep me from straying from your perfect plans? Now, folks, people say, when people tell me, I, I try to pray, I pray for two minutes, my mind wanders. You've got to get your mind on the right track. We've talked about that extensively on how Jesus taught us to pray. Forgive us our transgressions as we forgive those who transgress us against us. That's us acquiescing with our conscience or we can just not listen to it or that intuitive sense or uh, all those kinds of things. This is part of the prayer life. This is partnering with the Holy Spirit speaking to your spirit but your heart has a choice. Will I listen to the spirit that is now within me that can download? Before I couldn't even understand it. I, I would Look, like I said before, dead is dead. But now I do have the life. So a couple questions in closing here. Again, as I ask you the last few weeks, do you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you? Say, well, I don't know. We had six 
five or six people call for prayer uh, the first week and say, look, I some pray, we really want to pray. Maybe that's where you are. I don't know if I have the Holy Spirit. Well, you can know that today. You can know that today. So number one, do you have the Holy Spirit? Are you still dead? Well, once you receive that new heart, new spirit, at least you have the capacity to in, through intuit to have your conscience pricked and to respond, to be able to worship in spirit and truth and connect in a way, an intimate way that you simply cannot apart from being, again, Jesus said, unless a man be born again, he can't even see this thing. He can't operate in this thing. So this is our answer. So are you in that place where you're still suffering from cardiac arrest? Well, you can get your heart right. Don't quit trying to cover it up. You're trying to be good and all those other kinds of things so that God might be happy with you. Just say, I've got a deceitful heart. I've got a deceptive heart. Lord, forgive me. I choose to believe into Jesus and now I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. And then I would, if you're just on part of the online community and you're not ever in the desert, find a local Bible-centric community church where you can get involved, you can be discipled, you can learn the word, you can be sanctified moment by moment over long periods of time, and you'll start to see your self, your sinner, absolutely transformed. So let me close in prayer. And again, if this has touched you this morning, pray. There's gonna be two prayers. Number one, if you are in the midst of a cardiac arrest. Maybe number two, that you've been trying to cut and you've been trying to cover it up. And then number two, I, I had this born again experience, but you know what? I've been insensitive to my conscience. I have been insensitive to that intuition that has tried to knock on my door, but I've just closed those doors to God's salve and his healing that wants to come in and bring, well, bring an Eden in your life, bring a Garden of Eden, spiritually speaking, back in your life. So let's pray those two prayers. Number one, Father, for anybody who doesn't know you and doesn't have a new heart and doesn't have a new spirit, then your word says they are dead. Cardiac arrest, bad, bad diagnosis. But it's incredible in the sense that you can have a new heart now. Just pray this, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I, I understand now who you are and I understand I have the need of a new heart and a new spirit. Would you give those to me? I for, ask you to forgive me. I believe that what you accomplished on the cross through your death, burial, and resurrection are the entryway into the kingdom. And I believe that now in Jesus' name. Now I would say for you who prayed that, if you're here in the valley, you're gonna be in the valley soon, we're gonna baptize you, we're gonna, we're gonna pray over you, you, you can be adopted into the family. Uh, the church, the Red Door family potentially, or any, any, any God-centric, Bible, Christ-centric community. And then number two, if maybe pray this with me, and I'll pray along with you, Lord, sometimes I am not sensitive to your spirit. That conscience is going, or that, that intuition is going, or, and I'm not a worshiper, Lord. I want to be a worshiper. I want to worship you in spirit and truth, and I'm going to be more sensitive to the guidance of your spirit so that your spirit can transform, absolutely transform my very dead sinner and the very self that I am. Lord, I thank you for that in Jesus' name. You know, as we close here, <clears throat> I simply want to say this is big time. 
This is radically important. Eternally speaking, this is absolutely essential. 1 Peter 1.9, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul. Folks, this is your eternal destination. People say, don't talk about hell, don't talk about heaven and all that kind of... Please, I talk about it because Jesus talked about it. Matthew 10, 28, listen. Do not fear, Jesus says, those who kill the body, my dirt and water, but are unable to kill the soul. That's you. That's the eternal you, the self. You don't quit. Existence doesn't stop for you. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Look, at the end, folks, this is life and death. This is just not about, well, I want a better life now and I would like a Garden of Eden kind of life now. Oh, you'll have that in the new birth. This is about eternal destiny and your soul. So uh, I hope this has been helpful. Uh, I hope that you have a deeper understanding of the way things operate from spirit, from God's spirit to your spirit combining now spiritual words and spiritual thoughts, combining to be able to speak to your intellect, and then all of a sudden you find, wow, I'm changing. I can't believe it. I'm actually changing. <clears throat> so we're going to close with this worship song, and uh, just know that we love you. We are looking forward to the day that we can regather. Hope you have a wonderful, glorious Sunday, and let's close with one last worship song.